Welcome back to Coming Up for Air with hosts Dominique Simone Levine, Laurie McDougall, and Kayla Solomon. This podcast is produced with love by the Allies and Recovery team in solidarity with our listeners. Come in and sit with us for conversations on the most pertinent topics for families navigating a loved one's addiction. We created this podcast along with the learning modules and discussion blog in support of you. We salute the work you are doing and your dedication to helping your loved one find a way through. And now, coming up for air. Hi, everyone. This is Laurie McDougall back on Coming Up for Air. And this morning, I am sitting here with my co-host, Kayla. Hi, Kayla. How are you? Hi, Laurie. Good morning. And today, Dominique is not with us. She's taking a little bit of a break. You have Kayla and me today. So, Kayla, why don't you introduce our topic and what we're going to talk about? So today, we're going to be talking about the art of figuring out what the right move for you is, the art of making a decision, the art of knowing what you want to do. Because I feel like the land that we're living in is ambivalence and uncertainty and feeling like there's no good choices and and you're being like trapped or forced into coming up with a decision. But there is a way of processing where you can kind of dig down and figure out what you need to know. You know, what I was telling Lori is that I think that Lori and I do this with people all the time, but we don't realize that we're doing it. But basically, it's a series of asking good questions of yourself or somebody that you know that's struggling with this. So one of the things that, you know, we could start out, like the first question I ask people is, you know, what do you think makes the most sense? And basically, every answer just leads you to other questions. But you, what you want to do is not stop on the first question. You want to keep going deeper and deeper and deeper because somewhere when you drill down, there's this knowing that you have where you just know this is this is your bottom line. This is your absolute non-compromisable choice. And what happens is everybody else in the world might look at you and say, you're insane, that's crazy, that's not gonna work. But if this is your answer, it does not matter what anybody else thinks. And then the work then becomes, how do you hold your line and not get affected by other people's responses? Yeah, I word it differently, but yes, that's that's exactly. So just recently we were in a rest meeting and one of the family members brought up an issue And she was struggling and and wanting to brainstorm over different things that she could do. And I did exactly what you said. I started asking her questions. And then I was like, okay, we're going to just sit back and we're going to listen to this person. And what I'm looking for when I listen to a family member speak is I'm trying to listen for boundaries, for their boundaries. What is it that I am willing to do? What is it that's just too much for me right now? And so anytime we then go ahead and brainstorm, I try and keep the group within that person's boundaries. So just for example, I had someone say, and this was in a a totally different meeting, I had a family member say sometime, I'm not prepared right now to ask my loved one to leave. But oftentimes there'll be a family member, like when we're brainstorming, someone will start talking about asking them to leave. 
and I'll pull it back. Remember, we've got to stay within this person's boundaries of what they're willing and not willing to do. And if they say, I'm not willing right now that that's not an option for me, we're not going to pressure them into doing anything that they're not prepared to do. I'm going to ask them the questions. I'm going to try and get them to let me know what it is that they're that they want to try or that, you know, what are their boundaries or parameters that we can do to try and brainstorm around that to come up with a solution that maybe they want to attempt or maybe not even take any of our suggestions, but just inspire them to think. The process that we're talking about is to be curious and interested in what you're feeling, what you're thinking, what your options are, and then what are acceptable and unacceptable options for you at this moment. As we talk about all the time, that's going to change all the time. So I think people feel like, okay, this is this is it. And I said that I was going to do blah, blah, blah. So this is what I'm going to do, but it doesn't feel right. And if it doesn't feel right, then it doesn't matter what you decided two weeks ago. You're looking at now. So it's, it's always in the moment, what's the right thing for you? And what, what happens is that you need to really kind of dig down with yourself and figure out what is acceptable and unacceptable to you. So for the example that you're giving, even if the person is behaving badly and you absolutely are not going to kick them out, then the work that you're doing is given the parameters, which is you're not going to kick them out. What are your options? And you want to really go into the creativity of that moment, because I always think of I'm, I'm I'm for some reason obsessed with bowling alleys, even though I don't go bowling, but it's a great analogy. There's a lane. okay, and if you go out of the lane, you wind up in the gutter which I think is the analogy that all everybody is concerned about. So the goal is to define what your lane is. And within that lane, you want to stay in it. Right. And even as a person that's helping someone else, yes. you need to stay within their lanes, right? You need to keep things within their lanes. And there's a lot of reasons why. What I'm hearing when I hear someone tell me I'm not willing to do this, or I'm, I am willing to do this, what I'm hearing is there's some level of pain and fear that's so intense and so immense that they're not going to be able to hold off on a boundary that in their mind at this moment, they're just not there yet. And if I try and force it, or if someone else tries to force them to do what I think is right, or they think is right, then the individual is not going to be able to hold to those boundaries. And it's more likely to actually fail big time, right? Because they're like, no, this is just too intense, too uncomfortable for me. I, I, I'm not going to be able to do it. Right. I also think it turns them away. Like they don't think it's a comfortable space anymore to come in and talk about this issue because people are going to pressure them. Well, and you're becoming an unsafe person. So once again, this is the parallel process that we're describing with the loved ones and the, the people who have the, the substance use disorder or the issues, because 
we, you know, we're brilliant. Everybody knows what the right thing to do is. Everybody knows if you go to this treatment program, if you just stop, you know, like that, that's always the joke that I have. It's like when, when I was working um, as a methadone counselor years ago, I told my father I was doing, and he's like, that's ridiculous. Why don't you just tell them to stop? I literally, that's what he said. And I think that he represents a large portion of the population that what's wrong with these people just stop. And we as loved ones, have the same exact patterns as the folks that are using drugs. We just substitute people in that role. And the things that we do with people are the same dynamics that the people with that the substance use things. It's like, we have habits, we go unconscious, we have the things that we do that make sense to us that don't make sense to other people. We're operating in the realm of control. We're trying to control our feelings, which is exactly what the person with substance abuses. The reason I'm using is because I'm trying to treat my depression and not feel overwhelmed and deal with my low self-esteem. The reason I'm trying to control your behavior is because if you would only be better, then my life would be great. Uh, or I wouldn't have to worry about you and I could relax. So I'm going to work with on you and make you change so I could feel better. And that doesn't work. It's like we do these things that just don't work. So our job is to look at what works, what doesn't work. What can we live with? What can we not live with? How do we process so that we're coming from our most aware selves and not the unconscious, reactive, controlling, anxious beings that we've become because of this traumatic situation that we're dealing with. We still have to work on ourselves to calm down, to be able to make good choices. And that's the what we're describing is this slowing down time so that you actually could process and help people process in a way that they could actually think and put things out and come up with their answers. Because I do believe that people know underneath what they need to do but there's so much stuff over it that really what we're trying to work on is slowing it down so people could take things apart and really look at what they want and need at any given moment. I totally agree with you. And, and, and I also think that when we as helpers, as a support system to help the family create healthy boundaries within their own boundaries, right? Within their own bowling alley lanes, I also think what that does is it creates a safe space for the family member to come and, and kind of throw around ideas and not be judged, but it also frees them up that if this doesn't work, they know they can come back and they can, okay, that didn't work. That didn't work well. And it also, it's weird. I find it frees people up to actually move closer to a healthier boundary. Yes. And and I think what you're describing, Lori, it, it's like the work that I do with um, couples counseling is one of the things that we say is you have to have safety first, that without safety, there's no connection, there's no communication, there's no growth, because nobody grows in safety. If you feel unsafe, you're in your reactive self, and that self does not make good choices. So what we're saying, and it's funny because I, I actually never have said this out loud before, but what craft is about is creating a safe environment for everybody, which is interesting because that means a lot of different things. It means that 
it's safe to explore your thoughts and feelings and really kind of look at yourself in a way without judgment and being harsh with yourself. It's about looking at other people and not judging them and not telling them what to do or thinking that you know better. And also the other safety piece is the actual environmental piece. So if the person's behavior is so out of control that you're not safe in the realm of them and they're not safe within your environment, then you have to make different decisions. And that's a, that's its own category, but it's all safety, but it's safety coming from different angles. I think it is. It's all about making a safe space. And once you're in a safe space to kind of consider all angles and to think about all angles and know that you're respected in what you're going through in the moment, I believe it actually frees people up to process things better. Yes. To really get to the meat of what's actually going on. And you're not stuck in that whirlwind chaos crisis. You know, I don't know where to turn. I don't know what to do. And so you're actually less likely to be willy wonky with the with the boundaries. It's funny because it's reminding me of uh, a couple of weeks ago, somebody in the group said that, her daughter said, oh, I'm looking, I'm thinking about going into treatment. And she got all excited. And she's like, oh, you could do this. You could do this. You could do this. And then, of course, the next day, she's like, oh, I kind of was like, I'm just kidding. <laughs> my mind. Yes. Oh, never mind. As soon as somebody says anything like that, the first thing I do is ask a question. So questions are my friend. If somebody says to me, oh, I'm thinking about going into treatment, I'm, I would basically say, really? What's making you think that? You know, what's going on that's making you think that? And so instead of me going, yeah, it's the opening. Yay, I can, Here it is. I, can, I can strike now. Here, I got my list. Here you go. What happens is that I want to feed the questioning of that moment because I want the, if that opening is happening, I want to hear why they're thinking that. Because the more I spend time with that question and what's making, what's going on that's making you think that, how are you feeling about that? What kind of thoughts are you having about treatment? And I just stay there. And it could be like we're having a one minute conversation and then that was too much and it's over. But at least I feel like I didn't come in with my control, you know, situation like, let's go for treatment. Here we go. You got the leaders the list. You know, it's it's funny because I do a whole activity in rest groups based on understanding bribes, incentives, and reinforcing positive behavior. And one of the biggest trip ups actually are incentives. Bribes, it becomes very clear that bribes are probably not the one you want to use all the time, right? Like it, it can be a real problem, although we do use it. And although I'm not saying throw it out. But incentives actually are the one that trips everybody up a lot. It can go off the rails. Just for what you're talking about, oftentimes family members will put out an incentive for someone to do something or behave in a particular way. And then they become so emotionally involved in don't you want the incentive? Don't you want the reward? And don't, oh my gosh, don't you want to do this so that you can get the reward and and it just falls apart because then it's like, you know what? Clearly you had an agenda. Clearly you want me to do something in particular. And clearly just because of that, <laughs> I'm not going to do it. It's not genuine. It's manipulative. So I'm often talking about if you're going to use incentives, you put the incentive out there and then you do nothing. Mm -hmm. You do nothing. You wait and then if it happens, you reward. If it doesn't, 
nothing, nothing. It's over. It's over. To me, it's the same type of thing. And and also just kind of like what you were talking about and asking questions of the person, it really shows that individual that you are invested in how they think and what they're feeling. Yes. Yes. And that goes, that goes for everybody. Okay. Because so many times we don't actually listen. We just react to what the other person's saying, as opposed to just being interested in what the person is talking about. And that, by the way, is the number one safety tool. People want you to listen to them. They want you to hear them. And of course, it it always is about, for me, the mirroring piece of it you know, to really reflect what they're saying, to slow things down, to let them hear what they're saying. But then you also get to ask questions like, wow, so how did you get to this point? Or what things are you thinking about? Or um, what made you even say that right now? Like what's making you think that or say that right now? And I really believe that if we have genuine curiosity about this, because that's that's really why I do it. Because if somebody says to me, out of nowhere, you know, I think I need to go to treatment. I'm shocked. And I don't care about whether they're going to go to treatment because I really don't believe they will. So why waste my time on that one when I'm much more interested in why they're saying that? What's making you say that is a really important question because if you let somebody actually answer those questions, then you're making this moment larger, okay? As opposed to a throwaway comment that could be gone in seconds, if I ask you what's making you say that or what what makes you feel that way, then I'm enlarging that opening. Whether it lasts or not doesn't matter, but there, somebody said to me years ago that when you have a particularly positive moment in your life, when something works out or you're in this great space or you do something well, or you know, you've had success or you do something that you said you were gonna do and you're proud of yourself, you then have the blueprint in your system. It doesn't go away, it's in there. And so to me, if somebody then, you know, has this little sketch drawing of, I wanna go to treatment, if I expand the question into more 3D, then it becomes more part of them. It actually makes them start thinking about it. Because again, you know, that that opening is very like, it's like having like, Uh, dandelions it's like flies through the air but if i'm gonna spend time with it then it makes it actually more grounded for the moment what i'm picturing is something that is either external or internal and if i jump in and i start telling them oh great you know what i oh that's so wonderful i i know of a treatment center and da 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 and you know have you looked at this and right very external those are all my ideas those are all my thoughts I want someone else to conform to what I think versus internal. Tell me, what are your thoughts? What what are you thinking? When you talk about treatment, what does that mean to you? What I'm doing is I'm saying what your thoughts and your ideas about treatment, those are important. And, and I want to know about those things because I want to support you in your endeavors. Very internal. I'm reinforcing the individual's internal thoughts and emotions and processes. And I believe that when it's internal, that's where you're going to get sticking factors, right? Like it's going to stick. It's your idea. Yeah. (laughs) And you're more likely to jump on board when it's coming from you. Yes. The other thing about it is by doing this, I am a strong believer that the key 
to healing people is to have people feel heard. Yes. Right? It doesn't matter if you agree with them, if you disagree with them, if they feel like you heard them, there's healing there. Immediately. Immediately. That's the gift of this is that you get to be a healer just by listening and being interested and by asking non-directive questions. Like if you didn't say, well, what kind of treatment plan? It's more like, what were you thinking? What were you feeling? How'd you get here? And then what happens is people will give you the answers. And what you want to do is see this as a trail. So you ask questions and then people answer. And then you're like, oh, you mirror back. And then like, tell me more about that, which is always part of the trail. But then if there's a path, you can say, okay, so, you know, when they say I'm thinking about like going into, you know, uh, an IOP. So what's, what about the IOP sounds appealing to you or interesting to you at this point? And how'd you get to the IOP place? Like, why does that sound like the right thing to do? Because once again, you're like helping the person think. And the other thing that I really believe is that a lot of the the folks that we're, are the people that we're dealing with in terms of the person using substances, they don't ever stop and think. They don't have time for that. They're too busy trying to survive and get drugs and whatever. But what we're doing is slowing down time so that they could hear themselves think and they can process and that they can come up with their own answers as opposed to just throw out these like statements and not trail them. So we're actually as I like to think, providing a service of like, oh, you said something, I'm going to be interested and give you the space to think about this for at least another minute, if not longer. I totally agree with you. So really, basically what we're talking about are communication skills that inspire other people to think. Yes. Yes. For themselves, solve their own problems. Yes. And including our own. It's like, and then if we have people in our lives who are telling us what to do, which is one of the reasons, by the way, in our groups, that that is not encouraged. We don't encourage other people to give advice because advice is useless to people because it's not necessarily relevant to where they are. And unless somebody is asking you for advice, it's not helpful to give it. You can talk about your own experience. You can talk about what you've been through. That's relevant. And people will cherry pick the parts that they want to do. But it's but your advice is like people feel like they're being bossed around. And then the other thing that happens is if you're telling people what to do, they feel judged, they feel bossed around, and they also feel like they're sometimes if they don't follow it, that they're doing something wrong or they feel ashamed. So it's a fraught thing to do, whether it's for somebody who's working with us in Allies in Recovery or the people that they're trying to help. I want to clear that up too. Like in rest meetings, that's the absolute truth. Like any kind of brainstorming we're doing, it is not advice. It is sharing of things that we've done. It's sharing of ideas. And absolutely nobody has to take anything. Nobody's telling anybody what they should or shouldn't do. We're just coming up with ideas. And then the individual takes takes whatever it is. It's, an, it's another way to just inspire thought within that person, that individual's boundaries, right? They get to determine what path they want to take. Yeah. So basically we're giving people their power back. Yeah. And so if you want people to be successful, they need to be operating within their own realm. They need to be making choices and decisions and changing their mind and looking at it. And so every time we would give people their power back, 
then what they do is that they then have a possibility of success. Without power, there's no success because they need to have somebody following along. Okay, so this was a great conversation. Why don't you just give us a quick summary of what we talked about? Before you do that, I wanna remind all of our listeners that we have a wonderful 10-day challenge going on on the Allies and Recovery website. So for any of our members, if you can complete half of the modules in a 10-day period of time, you uh, qualify for a $250 immersive craft training. It's a five-hour, one-day training. So I just want to remind everybody, let everybody know that that offer is still available to them. And then Kayla, why don't you take it away with a summary? So I would say the summary is the art of creating a safe space for people to make choices. So what we're talking about is safety. What safety is about is really engaging in the listening, being interested, being curious, asking questions that are not that are not judgmental, allowing the person to slow down time and think about things and not go in with judgment or thinking that you know better or jumping in to try to fix anything. But the space of questioning and slowing down time and helping people find their own answers is the biggest gift that you could give anybody. And just assuming that they're wise and that they know what they need and they just need space to get to that place. And your your role is to help them do that. Well, thank you. Thank you for, for another great conversation. And we will be back again next week. Have a good week. Thanks for listening. We hope this episode of Coming Up for Air spoke to you. If you're listening in today on a podcast platform that isn't the Allies member site, please take a moment to give us a five-star rating. This helps others find the show more easily. If you have a suggestion for a new topic or a guest for the show, please reach out through the Contact Us form on alliesinrecovery.net. Special thanks to our hosts, our guests, and our production team.